Hello, and welcome to UK Life Abroad. My name is Andre, and I'm joined by my co-hosts Nathan and Alexa. Last week marked the 7th anniversary of Russia's annexation of Crimea. This year, President Zelensky aims to launch a global initiative to deoccupy the peninsula via the Crimean platform. Will this bring Crimea back into the international spotlight? This and more on Zakhrdanyu Ukrainsi, the podcast for all things Ukrainian. So this week marked the seven years since Russia's invasion into the Crimean Peninsula. And it's quite a significant day in Ukraine and especially in the Crimean Tatar community as well, because it's an act of, how, how would you say it, Alexa, really? Yeah, it kind of started Russia's whole aggression against Ukraine. And, you know, after the annexation of Crimea, you had the start of the war in Donbass and all the other terrible things that have happened since that whole process began. And, you know, as with any kind of monumental event in history, there's always a debate about dates. And in this sense, Ukraine has followed the cue of Russia because Russia celebrates the 20th of February as the start of the annexation of Crimea. And Ukraine has designated that day as the day that Russia took over like when it annexed the peninsula and then therefore took over control of the buildings or control of being responsible for what happens on the territory. So therefore they become responsible as the occupying power. However, they commemorate the 26th of February as the day of resistance against Russia's occupation of the autonomous Republic of Crimea and the city of Sevastopol. And they chose this date symbolically as this was the day when between four to 6,000 Crimean Tatars and Ukrainian patriots came to the Crimean parliament to protest against, at the time, Russia's incursion into Crimea and to support the Ukrainian government. And then they were attacked by, you know, pro-Russian thugs who, you know, supported the little, Putin's little green men in taking over the peninsula. Yeah, so... Um the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine has initiated the creation of the Crimean platform. So, um, the reason why this came about and to create this platform was to address the consequences of Russia's temporary occupation of the peninsula. And these range from violation of human rights, and particularly those of Ukrainians and Crimean Tatars, to the militarization of the peninsula, the environmental degradation, and preventing trade in the Black and Azov Sea region. So it's uh, about bringing about all these other cases that have in relation to Crimea uh, into one bundle and make it easier to uh, make Russia pay for its crimes in Crimea. So do you guys think it's a good idea? I I reckon it's a good idea because a lot of people view that uh, Crimea has sort of been forgotten about or put on the back burner because everyone focuses on donbass in a yeah sense. yeah and like we have the minsk agreement we have the trilateral contact group we have the normandy format um that's already three different uh, uh organizations in a sense or like uh platforms where they can communicate about trying to resolve the issues in eastern ukraine but there isn't really much about um for crimea so i think it's a good initiative I think it's like long overdue as well because 
um, we did a story recently, well, it was a while ago, and we talked about how um, the kids that were born when the occupation started were now starting um, school, meaning they were starting their schooling in Russian. And that's going to be difficult to undo. And given how much time has passed, so it's good that finally now there's this push to have more of an international community pushing for this deoccupation of Crimea. But we'll see once you know once deoccupation happens, we'll have to you know see what exactly the next step will be in trying to reintegrate that part back into you know the rest of the country. Yeah, and Ukraine has tried to encourage people to maintain links with Ukraine. So, like, they've kept the border to an extent open during COVID so people can come into Ukraine. They're offering free vaccinations to all Crimean and, like, and people living on the occupied territories in Donbass. Um, and the other thing is, is that they've, like, they've loosened the entry requirements for universities for people who live in these regions. So they are trying to maintain links but it's kind of hard when like on the crimean side and in like the occupied parts of donbass the russians will just close the border and not let people cross so the ukrainian side might be open but if the other side's closed it's you know you can only do so much to an extent but i think it's a good idea so when's this meeting meant to happen for crimea the crimean platform andre so the Crimean platform is meant to launch on the 23rd of August 2021 in Kiev, and this is to, uh, also to commemorate the raising of the Ukrainian flag over the Kiev City Council building. Now, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky has invited over 100 foreign heads of state and governments to participate in this opening, and they plan to adopt uh, a document to reiterate the support for the territorial integrity of Ukraine and recognize the threats emerging from the uh, occupation of Crimea and Russia's aggressive foreign policy in the region and surrounding area. I think it's a good idea because I remember like on the, like during the Poroshenko presidency, they always made a big deal on Independence Day of having foreign military units march alongside of the Ukrainian army. And I know it always annoyed you know, people from the Russian establishment that, you know, you had American troops marching down Khrushchev, you had UK soldiers, Canadian soldiers marching alongside the Ukrainian army, like to celebrate Ukrainian independence. So I think if you have all these world leaders there, I think it'll be an even more powerful symbol that all these people came, you know, to first reiterate that Crimea is Ukrainian, but also there to celebrate Ukrainian Independence Day, especially for its 30th anniversary. Well, and I think it's uh, it's a, another good initiative because it's the Black Sea and uh, there are a couple of NATO countries in the Black Sea and considering that uh, Krem um, is pretty much dead center in the Black Sea, it's an important part of the region and I think it uh, it's it's got a quite a significant influence over that region. So I think it's important that NATO and the West realize that it's not just about supporting um, Ukraine and its territorial integrity. It's also about protecting its, um, its in a sense, like Black Sea neighborhood. Because you have Romania, you have... Um, you got Turkey on the other side. You have Turkey, you have uh, Bulgaria, I believe. Uh, they're, are they part of NATO? Yeah, they're yeah, all part yeah, of NATO. They're part of NATO. Then you have Georgia, you have Ukraine aspiring to become members of NATO as well. So... 
um, it's a good way into reassuring that NATO is willing to help Ukraine in this endeavor. And that's a good point you made about Crimea being in the middle of the Black Sea, because that's why Russia had that naval base there, because it's a good strategic point, um, which I'm sure we know from our diplomacy game. Everyone yeah. loves that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but it's interesting because even though, even after 91, that Russian base, naval base still remained. So the interesting question will be, once Crimea is given back... I'm pretty sure Ukraine will never allow Russian military bases on its and territory. Considering uh, that Yushchenko um, even tried to cancel the deal, or like no, uh, he told them prepare to leave in yeah. 2017 when the yeah. lease was to expire. Yeah, over the Russian invasion in Georgia. Yeah, so there was already like a plan to get rid of them. It just wasn't enough time. Finally, he'd won. Or if a pro-Western politician had won the 2010 election. Yeah. <laughs> yeah true. And considering that um, Crimea is being militarized, it's it's brought even uh, it's brought like the missile ranges closer to NATO countries as well, because NATO sort of has like a border land uh, border area between NATO and Russia, and now with the this whole uh, small like crisis, now like Romania has been like covered by these missiles so i think it's a good importance that uh, the west should help ukraine regain this territory i think what they're going to aim for during the summer is sort of what the americans did with the baltic states during their occupation by the soviet union and it was that they they like obviously didn't recognize their annexation by the russians just before world war ii and they would allow people who held passports issued before the annexation um, they would consider them valid even though they had technically expired, but you could travel on those passports throughout the West because they were still recognized as valid documents. And I think that's what Ukraine's hopefully going to, you know, get other countries. Like, you know, you don't recognize the the annexation and therefore you'll recognize Ukrainian documents issued before the annexation if they haven't been able to obtain new ones. Yes. And, you know, every time Russia tries to do something in Crimea on an official level, you come out and, like, condemn it. Like, whenever Russia holds an election in Crimea, you come out and say, we don't recognize those people elected because they weren't elected under Ukrainian rules and legislation. They were elected under Russian occupation. Therefore, they're not legitimate representatives of the people. I'm interested to see how the U.S. is going to um, contribute because, um, especially given that Joe Biden just attacked Syria... I'm kind of thinking, is he going to offer more military support or is it going to be more economics, uh, like sanctions and whatnot? Because Joe Biden is more like hawkish than Donald Trump was because Donald Trump's thing was he didn't want to get involved in foreign... Um, entanglement. War, yeah, foreign entanglements, which is why he actually went against his national security advisors with like Iran and um, North Korea. So I guess he was good in that sense. But he did also like screw over the Kurds because of his lack of planning. But um, I'm just wondering, is Joe Biden just going to go full scale boots on the ground? So on February 26, the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, said that the United States welcomes Ukraine's initiative on the Crimean platform. And they look forward to continuing their work with Ukraine and the US's allies and partners to end Russia's occupation of the peninsula and aggression in eastern Ukraine. So I think 
pretty it's a pretty good statement and i think if joe biden comes to this event and stays to celebrate ukraine's independence i think that'll be a powerful signal because neither obama nor trump visited ukraine so i think ukraine needs a presidential visit from the us and biden as vice president visited ukraine six times and ukraine was one of the last countries he visited as vice president of the us i think he'll be more uh in both because he's he said before that he's willing to supply ukraine with um lethal aid yeah lethal aid and and sanctioning as another um tool that they can use to prevent russia from expanding their policy really so i think if he uses his um, both of these toolkits, then I think it's a good in- initiative and to prevent Russia from holding onto Crimea. Yeah, and I think going the economic side is actually better because if Ukraine is reliant upon like US boots on the ground or US um, uh, uh, military. Le- le- military aid entirely, that like sets a bad precedent because then how does Ukraine then not rely on the US going forward. There has to be like a de, know, demilitarization of the country <laughs> from think- the US and shifted over to Ukraine's power. So I think it's better to um, take on Russia from the economic side because that is hurting them and let Ukraine help them, of course, but you know, also let them build up their own army so that eventually they can defend themselves without needing to rely on other world powers. Yeah, it's rather like holding hands rather than one-sided. Yeah, so it wouldn't be like Afghanistan because like Afghanistan has been going on for like, what, 30 years now and you don't want a situation where you have like foreign troops in Ukraine for the next 30 years trying to break a stalemate. Yeah. I think Russia has spent, um, I think it's a... A billion dollars over five years, I think it was. Remember you saying in a previous episode that the occupation of Crimea is... Oh, yeah. It costs them, like, so much money. Yeah, and because it's like a financial black hole, you were saying. And um, I'm sure from that perspective, you would get parts of the Russian population that would then be saying, like, why is my taxpayer money going to this financial black hole? (laughs) It's varied between $1 billion and $2.7 billion a year in just to um, subsidize Crimea. So, a lot of their money, a lot of the budget in Crimea is pretty much subsidized by Russia. And there's like literally no income in maintaining Crimea. So, it's, a, it's pretty much like Nathan mentioned, a black hole where Russia is just chucking money away and trying to deal with this. Uh, economic sanction. In the news this week, Ukraine's state security service has installed a billboard with the phrase Crimea is Ukrainian outside the Russian embassy in Kiev. This replaced the previous billboard which praised Ukraine's counterintelligence officers. Ukraine this week received its first batch of AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine with 500,000 doses arriving at Airport. The first Ukrainian to be vaccinated was Yevhen Hordenenko, a COVID emergency room doctor from Cherkasa. The vaccines were produced by the Serum Institute of India, which supplies medicines to nearly 140 countries. Ukraine's energy minister has announced that the country aims to be carbon neutral by 2050. Ukraine aims to achieve this goal in three distinct areas, namely energy efficiency, development of renewable energy and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. 
Ukraine has already prepared a climate energy plan for 2030 and is currently working on a long-term plan. As for the use of coal, the country hopes to quit its use by 2040 under the best-case scenario. A United Nations report from the High Commissioner's Office has stated that Iran committed multiple human rights violations in the downing of Ukraine International Airlines Flight PS752. The report states that Iran's explanation for the incident are aimed at creating maximum confusion and minimum clarity as to what led to the incident. Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Join us next week for more UK Life Abroad content.